0: All right, turn with me in your Bible to 3 John, 3 John, right before the book of Revelation there, Third John. We have been teaching for a couple weeks now a series on, we're just calling it reality checks, and I started teaching it so we don't get too spookier, mystical as Pentecostals, though we do love to pray in tongues, and I'm all for a vision, a trance, an open dream, Um, We're all for tongues, interpretation of tongues, and even discerning of spirits if it's the will of God. But uh, to be honest with you, those things don't pay the bills, so to speak. What we need is boots on the ground Christianity. And so all those things we just mentioned, I have seen, had, and experienced. We're not cessationists. We believe the Holy Spirit is still alive today. He didn't pass away just because some cessationists misinterpreted 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Amen. Uh, We forget that Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to help us and to make us supernatural. But in between being supernatural, we need to have natural. And so we need to make sure that our natural is watertight. So we started teaching on reality checks to kind of keep our feet anchored to the ground and to keep us tied to reality. And so this started another series of teaching within reality checks where we're just talking about domain and authority. And that was really in the bigger context of what it means to be a man and raising children to understand their domain and their authority. Because if you don't get that right, you'll always be pushed over or you won't know what to do where you're at. And if we don't have time to go into it tonight, but we could easily make a case that absolutely everything you do, every day of your life has everything to do with domain and authority. And you know just by... Intuition and culture, all cultures based on the concepts of domain and authority. Whether you, you pull up to the gas station, you don't pull into the gas station. That's not your domain. You're not authorized. You pull up to one pump. That's your domain. You're authorized once you swipe that credit card to put gas in. And then you know the protocol. You put the gas pump up. Otherwise, you drive off with the gas pump. And that becomes a lot more expensive than Biden gas. <laughs> You understand the domain and authority there. You understand it's also called a social contract. It's understood. It's all rooted in the spirit realm, and it comes from God Almighty. And the earth is His footstool. This is His domain. And everywhere we go, we enforce the kingdom's domain. We're authorized to cast out devils, seal the sick, raise the dead, if we need to. Preach this word. But really, what I want to focus on tonight is the, the closest, most intimate domain you have, which is your brain. And if we can't master that, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because most of our problems originate in between our ears. Years ago, when spiritual warfare was really popular, uh, charismatics got off into a ditch and they were flying. They were, some of you are too young to remember this. I, I'm barely old enough to be in Pentecost to remember this. They would rent jets, charismatics would, to fly in the heavenlies to pray down the spirits. You know, principalities and heavenly wickedness and heavenly places. And so they, they wanted to tear down strongholds. And Pastor Vaughn had the best answer for that. He said, look, they're just fine up there. Leave them up there. We got enough of them down here. You leave those guys up there. And then, and then when the airplanes got too expensive, they would rent out the high rises over the cities. I guess, you know, because that's up there where the weather and the demons are. And this is the most ludicrous thing, but that's how dumb Christians are. And so one of the other succinct statements I read somewhere 25 years ago is that, yeah, I can't remember if it was Brother who said it, maybe Brother Hagen, but they said, look, if you can't, if you can't uh, have authority or exercise authority over the six inches in between your ears, don't worry about demons. The other way it was put is 99% of all spiritual warfare takes place in between your ears. And if you can't get a hold of what's on in between your ears, don't worry about casting out demons because you won't know when one is attacking you or when one is just a, the air vent kicking on and the curtains are fluffing. Or you know, Charismatics make everything a demon except for the demons. And they like it that way. Not the charismatics, but the demons. So we're going to talk tonight about the domain that is your mind. Or we might call it the brain domain. And we, we just really need to focus on this. Third John verse 2, very famous passage. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, and be in health even as your soul prospers." Now, the word prosper doesn't mean money. It literally means a good journey or an easy road. So, it would be like saying, you know, have a safe trip, have a prosperous journey. We're not talking about stop, stopping off and playing scratch-off tickets between here and Vegas. That's not a prosperous journey. A prosperous journey is an, a very successful life, a smooth life. So the word is actually a word picture in the Greek. It just means a smooth ride, a smooth tr- a road. But notice that having a prosperous life, a smooth life, is contingent upon our soul prospering. That is our mind and our will and our emotions. And really, from the time you're uh, crawling about as a a six-month-old and beginning to process things, you're learning you have a soul and you have a body. And those are the two things you're beginning to learn your domain and your authorization on as mom and dad parent you. You learn that you can scream, and they'll come, and they'll hold you, and that makes your soul feel better. And you're also learning how to crawl and move your body about. But the most intimate domain you have is in between your ears. And we'll just lump that together as mind, will, and emotions, but we'll call it the brain. We'll call it the mind tonight. We'll use it all interchangeably. We have been authorized by the Lord Jesus Christ to dominate that thing. Everything in life vies for its attention. Everything vies for its affections. Everything if it, in life, if it can get a hold of its thoughts and its affections, it can pull your will, harness you for its gain, and make merchandise of you. The kingdom wants you, as does the kingdom of darkness. The boss wants you, as does your family. The hobby wants you, and the sport you never played wants you. Everything wants you. Everything succeeds off of people. Without people, nothing succeeds. And the gateway for all things is our soul, so we have to keep a tight guard on it. What we're facing today are people and a culture that wants to play the victim and honestly market and capitalize on a squirrely head and hurt and unforgiveness and shame. We've learned, unfortunately, in our culture how to manipulate people with our hurt. And so I've pastored long enough to know that there are some Christians, they just walk around with a long face so that people will ask them, what's wrong? Because they want the extra touch. Don't, don't, don't cater to that. Just say, Bless God you'll be fine. Hallelujah. And you know, when you're in a mopey depression, the last thing you want to hear is somebody say, bless God, you'll be fine. Hallelujah. That's not what you want. You want to be held like a four-year-old. And you know what God's going to tell you? Bless me. Hallelujah. You'll be fine. (laughs) Because you're more than a conqueror. Now it's time to start acting like it. So if we don't get a hold of our brain, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and however you want to lump it together, something will. It is the battleground of the last day, and everything out there has a hook on it trying to get you. Through your eyes, through your ears, through your emotions everything out there. We're at such a high heightened sense of propaganda right now in this nation through social media, through television. Nothing is neutral anymore. You can't even watch a good TV show without some kind of little hook and crook somewhere. And they're trying to pull you to their allegiance. We have to stay in the word that we might wash our mind with the scriptures. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. So you can see By the quality of your life, how successful you are in using your authorization over your mind. Because it says here, you'll prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. If you stop to think about it, all promotion in life is dependent upon you being able to control your mind, your will, and your emotions. Uh, If you can't manage stress, you'll never be promoted. Because promotion involves more stress. And you'll be promoted into the next level once you master all the work and all the stress that comes with that level. And once you master that level, it's no longer stressful to you. It's just status quo. And now you're ready for the promotion. But the promotion thrusts you into a new field with new responsibilities, new deadlines, new burdens, new people, new hassles, and new stress. And if you can't ever get a hold of your mind, your will, and your emotions, you will never prosper and you will never be promoted. The boss is always going to promote the guy that can seem to handle one more employee, one more project. He's cool as a cucumber, they'll say. She she just can manage all of it. She gobbles it. She thrives under the stress, they'll say. These are people that have learned to master stuff. Some of this has to be taught to our kids as we parent them. Some of us weren't taught it. We're having to learn it now. But all you have to do is take inventory of your life and ask yourself, how easily do you fall apart? And you might have an answer to why you don't get prospered or promoted. God will always stretch us. When you study the Lord Jesus Christ, you have what is considered his Galilean ministry, which is about the first year and a half of his ministry. It runs through in Luke's gospel to about Luke chapter 8. Most of his ministry, except for the Passover festival at Jerusalem, which he was commanded to go to, all of his ministry was up there in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And then after about a year and a half, he begins to expand and he keeps dropping down and going beyond the Jordan. He expands his ministry and his interactions with the Pharisees and the religious leaders become more and more hostile. And what you see is the Lord's ministry growing and expanding. Now lest you think it's heresy, the Bible says he did increase and grow in favor with God and man and the grace of the Lord. And He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. So this comes back to a basic doctrine called the hypostatic union, where he's both God and both man. Perfectly God, perfectly man. He had to grow. He had to develop. He had to learn to walk, learn to talk. I would even speculate he had to use the bathroom. It's hard on us sometimes to consider the hypostatic union. That's why it's a mystery. We kind of view it from afar. We don't get too close because we might just disintegrate because it's just too mysterious. How can it be fully God, fully man forever now? But he is. He's in a body, a glorified one. And in that glorified body, he ate fish. And he still had scars. So I don't know what that means for some of us who want a better body in the glorified state. If the Lord had scars in his glorified state, We believe better things of that for us, I think. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not trying to stretch you or anything. So we've got to master our mind, our will and our emotions. That's our domain right here, between our ears. And the authorization is, get a hold of it. And according to Third John, all your success in life in the gospel, even in the secular, is contingent upon you exercising God-given authorization over that domain. And if you don't get a hold of it, nobody else can. And if you don't get a hold of it, the doctor might have to give you a pill to mellow it out. But that's not liberty. And that's not freedom. And that's not victory. We don't condemn that. We don't beat you up if you have to take something because of mental illness. We don't beat anybody up for that. It's a battle, but fight it. Don't roll over and succumb to it. And don't you ever say, well, it runs in my family, so maybe it's going to happen to me. Curse that junk to hell. You've been redeemed. You have a new bloodline, and you have a better father than the one that sired you. Even if you had a good daddy, you got a better one in heaven. So our prosperity, and don't think dollar signs with that, our good road in life is based upon us mastering six inches of territory between our ears. And if you fail to, you'll see it in your life. So think about just as before we move on, just introspect yourself. Some introspection. How do you handle stress? How do you handle hostility? How do you handle deadlines? How do you handle uh, people criticizing you? How do you handle persecution? How do you handle insults? How do you handle compliments? For some people, compliments are just as destructive as insults are to others. How do you handle correction? As a pastor, I can't correct everybody. I would love to. My assignment is to. Timothy tells me my job is to tell people what way their life is wrong. It doesn't mean I have to be rude about it, but I'm authorized to. But there are some people I can't correct because it'll hurt them because they can't handle it. So you just kind of hand them with children's gloves. And they're like, you know, 60 years old, still coloring with their left hand, eating glue half the time, and the squiggly eyes are on the back end of the caterpillar. And you think, that's really good there, little Lily. That's really good. I'm proud of you, sweetie. Because you can't tell them, what is wrong with you? Because yes, that would put them into a deeper tailspin that they may never recover from. Yes, sir. Paul, Paul did it. He said, I wish I could address you as adults, but I can't because you're yet babes. Hebrews says the same thing. When the time has come that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again to the foundations of the principal things of Christ. For you have need of milk and not meat. If we don't get a hold of what's in between our ears, something else will. And I've, I've taught for years your, your thoughts are like that spool of string on a kite on a windy day. And if you don't keep a tight rein on it, your mind will go, Voo! or if you're a fisherman, that bass getting a hold of your line, and you don't lock that thing up, and that bass will get that hook in his mouth, and he'll take off down the lake or down the stream, and you'll be tangled up somewhere. You have to keep a tight lid on your mind. Emotions are the same way. Women tend to be more emotional. Men tend, tend to be more intellectual, but we'll just split it down the middle of the road here. If you don't get a hold of your emotions, they'll begin to fabricate the most crazy things. It's like a domino effect. One little thing gets bumped, and by the next red light, you're ready to call down fire, quit your life because you don't get a hold of this stuff. So if you don't dominate it, it will dominate you. If um, you take a job, if you can't handle the stress of the assembly line, you're not going to be promoted to line manager. If you can't handle the stress of line management, you won't be handled uh, the whole whatever division. If you can't handle, in my job I, I did a lot of work with drill rigs on and off, uh, if I couldn't handle managing one drill rig, I couldn't handle two for sure. If I was barely handling one, two drill rigs would drown me. There's no way they'd give you three drill rigs. But if you can handle one soundly, the boss may throw you two drill rigs, drilling geotechnical or water wells or whatever. So you can handle the oversight and management of two drill rigs. They might trust you with a third one. But if you fall apart at one, can't get your reports in on time, you get stressed out when traffic control is not working, the police aren't helping you, and you hit a power line, they're never going to give you a second drill rig. Huh. how about one kid how does one kid there, there's that grace for new mamas you never had a baby before you got one and you, think, you look at that kid and you think how do we keep this thing alive I mean, this is a human being we made this and now you're on the outside and I think I liked you better on the inside kicking me because now I'm responsible and <coughs> there's a grace for that new holy Toledo what have we done But, you know, after about four or five months, the baby's on a sleep schedule. Because after four or five months, with discipline and consistency, that baby's on a sleep schedule and on a feeding schedule, your life gets easy. If you're still stressed out with a two-year-old that you've been with every day of their life for two years, why would you dare think about a second child? Two kids have you at your wits' end, and you're ready to fight and divorce Why would you bother to get pregnant a third time? There was a comedian that said, having four children is like having three children, but you're drowning and somebody hands you another child. (laughs) So I want you to see here, you'll only prosper as much as your soul is able to handle what's been given. You have as much today as God trusts you with, unless you broke laws somehow. I mean, you could have more money, but you probably robbed a bank or something or embezzled tax money. We don't go the route of children because we know pagans get pregnant all the time and have kids that get taken away from them by the government. And when the government has to get involved with your parenting, you're a lousy parent because our government is good at nothing. Hundreds of kids die every year in DCS custody in this state alone. So you know DCS ain't good with kids. So we won't go the route of parenting because you could have kids and you probably shouldn't have because you weren't responsible enough. But my point is, your provision, your promotion, and your success in life is dependent upon you mastering your mind, getting a hold of it. You don't let your mind just daydream. You don't let your mind just stir itself up on emotions and hostility. There are scriptures that command us what to do with every thought, every emotion, every desire, and we keep a tight check on our mind and our will and our emotions. We don't have have permission to let our emotions just do anything they want. The Bible gives us strict commandments on our emotions. We rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice over sin. We hate evil. We don't hate mankind. Yeah, we fear the Lord. We don't fear the enemy. So they, these are strict commandments. If you can't get a hold of your mind, something will. And the longer it has a hold of it, the harder it is going to, to, to get liberated, delivered. You're going to have to break mental strongholds. Most strongholds we deal with are mental. They're not heavenly. You you can't break the heavenly stronghold if everybody's still submitting to it. By heavenly, I mean spiritual stronghold. If a whole region's given over to homosexuality, you know the stronghold over that city is homosexual demons. But as long as everybody wants to give into that spirit, you can't get that spirit off your city. You got to preach deliverance and pray. So what you and I have to do is we have to get a hold of our mind and get a hold of those strongholds. And please realize your life is the quality of it is because of how you tend the six inches of gray matter in between your ears. If you live your whole life jealous, you'll waste your life. If you live your whole life chasing food for comfort's sake, you'll waste your life. If you waste your whole life, spend your whole life chasing the next purchase, you'll waste time, money, and your life you got to get a hold of this thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is the brain domain, and if you don't get a hold of it, something else will set up shop there and control you. Ephesians chapter 4. Truly, your soul... Let me back up. How many of you ever played tug-of-war? Everybody should play. It's probably not politically correct anymore. Because you want to stack the heavy kids on one side to win. That's what we did growing up in the 80s when you could still call a spade a spade and nobody got offended. In your life, you have your flesh pulling on one end of the rope and you have your spirit man, the born again real you, pulling on the other end of the rope. And according to Galatians 5, the two are contrary one to another, that you, 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 they're at enmity one against the other. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit lusts against the flesh. That, by the way, is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has no problem with the flesh. If you hadn't noticed, Holy Spirit shows up, flesh hits the ground. So it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, it's the human spirit. So the human flesh lusts against the human spirit, and the human spirit lusts against the, holy, uh, the, the human flesh, and they are contrary one to the other. And the deciding factor is your brain, your soul. And if you can get a hold of your soul, you'll go the way of the Spirit. If you don't get a hold of your soul, you'll always end up in the way of the flesh. Romans 8 tells us that the mind that is stayed on God or, or the mind that is set on peace has life. The minding of the Spirit is peace and life. That also, we know that from medical science, when you don't set your mind on the things of God, you're going to be stressed out. Stress brings heart issues, stress brings migraines, stress brings. Uh, um, uh, vascular issues and pulmonary issues. V- uh, stress does all sorts of weird things to your body. You lose weight when you're stressed out. You get sick when you're stressed out. We've all, I think, know the stories of kids. They get so nervous they just start throwing up. When children are growing up, they get stressed out. They start crying. They want to go hide. And you got to teach them how to handle these emotions because it's always a domino effect. And so even if you're raising children, they start crying and you look at them and they're stressed out, they might run away. So now their flesh is following and they're disobeying mommy and they're disobeying the Bible because you told them to sit still and let's deal with this. This is how powerful the soul is. This is why we must discipline it. You don't have permission to think anything you want to think. And I want you to hear with fervent passion, you don't have to think anything if you don't want to. That mind of yours is supposed to sit there like your smartphone and don't do nothing till you tap it. And then it shows up and it comes on. What would you like to do? Well, let's swipe up and see. Some of you, anytime I say that, you think, how is that possible? You mean your mind does nothing. I can sit in a room look at a wall and think nothing. Seriously? Seriously. It is not hard to do if you'll train your mind. But you have to be aware that your brain, if you're squirrely, you have to acknowledge that your brain's squirrely. Now, if I drive down the road, my brain will process stoplight. Got to think about that. Ooh, pizza on the billboard. Could go for one of those right now. Oh, this is where the tornado went through two years ago. Man, they're really building things back over here. And then it goes back to thinking nothing. Phone call come in, or if I'm praying in the Spirit or praying in English, then I'll think about something. If I'm listening to a preaching CD or a preaching podcast, I'll think about something. But your brain is supposed to be neutral. And your emotions are supposed to be neutral until something that's put in front of it elicits the emotion. I can think nothing till I hear my kids coming down the hallway. Then my heart smiles because my kids are here. I can be thinking about nothing till my ESPN app lets me know something that I'm following gives me an update. Then I think, oh, who's lost this time? And I look down and it's usually a hockey team I'm pulling for that's lost again. Your mind and your emotions can be totally neutral and it's such a wonderful place to be. And did you know people have to be on drugs to obtain this? And I don't mock that, and I don't criticize it. Thank God they're getting help. But I want you to know there's a better help. Take take the medicine you're prescribed if you're on it. Please don't misconstrue this. Stay on whatever you need to if you've been diagnosed. But some of us, we've not been diagnosed with anything. Pastor Vaughn used to say the only difference between them and us is we ain't been caught yet. The only difference between their crazy and our crazy is we just ain't been humble enough yet to say, I'm a little crazy. What can you give me? Where can we start on the dosage? You don't have to be that way, though. Your mind and your emotions can be totally neutral. That's your domain. But if you don't get a hold of your ears and everything in between them, you'll be squirrely, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, every sleight of cunning, every bad word, every bad report, every... Post on this Facebook and post on that Instagram and everything and every bumper sticker. You'll be all over the place. Yes, it's weird. Yeah. And it's not the will of God. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed. So here's the command. The command brings an authorization. When your command to be renewed, that means here's what you're supposed to do. Renew. And that means to renew. It doesn't mean to renovate like Romans 12.2 does. It means to make something brand new. Renew the spirit of your mind, or the attitude of your mind. So this verse gives us both the authorization, which is we're authorized to renew, and it gives us the domain. What do I renew? My domain is my own mind. I don't have authorization to renew Pastor Caleb's mind. His mind is not my mind. I can't control what he thinks. I can't control what Miss Tiffany thinks. I can't control what Miss Jenna thinks. I can't control what Miss Olivia thinks. I can't control what Greg thinks. I can encourage. I can rebuke. I can say, shut up. You're talking crazy. And I can tell them that because I tell myself that. Shut up. That's crazy. And if you're not talking to yourself, you are crazy. Now, I know the world thinks you're crazy (laughs) if you're talking to yourself, but this is how we prevent ourselves from going crazy. Shut up. We're well able. Let's do this. We can fix this. Shut up, head. And I've had to tell many folks over the years how you beat these dumb thoughts is you have the final say. And if it tells you something a thousand times, you tell it to shut up and go to hell a thousand and five times. And then you replace it. You say, nope, I'm going to think on things that are lovely, pure, just, and of good report. And if I don't need to think, then I'm thinking on nothing. I'm just going to look out the back window and say, man, that's a pretty day. What are you thinking? Nothing. For a long time, my faith confession, when I served Pastor Darren Osborne in Knoxville, he'd always say, what are you thinking, Chris? I'd say, nothing. It gets me in trouble. And that was my confession, because in those years, I was having to really work to discipline my mind. And I wonder how much we'd be capable of mentally if we didn't waste so much energy on just zzz, zzz. what should have, could have, what? What should have, could have, what? about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? I wonder what they're thinking. What about they thinking? Why did they say that yesterday? What were they thinking when I said that to them yesterday? You'll go crazy wondering about what other people are thinking when they didn't think nothing. I wonder what they were thinking. I don't know and I don't care. Well, they looked at you funny, so maybe they can't see well. You know, maybe they were looking at the end of their nose. Maybe they dropped their glasses. Maybe their contacts rolled in the back of their head, and that's why they were winking at you all. Why why do we care? The Lord Jesus had to tell Brother Sumrall years ago at the age of 17 or 18, he says, uh, another person's mind is no place to find happiness. It's a polite way of saying, why do you care what people think? There is a place to care what people think, but not when you live for that. You and I are authorized to renew our mind. That's our domain. That's our authorization. But this verse doesn't say, and if you don't do it, your pastor will do it for you. If you don't do it, God will do it for you. This verse says you do it. And the implication is, and if you don't, nobody else will. If you don't get a hold of your mind, if you don't get a hold of your stress, if you don't get a hold of your unforgiveness, if you don't get a hold of your anger, if you don't get a hold of your vengeance, if you don't get a hold of your daydreams or your porn vision or your, or your I'm lonely and I want to be married and that guy winked at me twice and so now I've already got our marriage plan and our wedding plan and the first names of our first nine kids. If you don't get a hold of that, you're crazy. Biblically, you don't have permission to daydream. You don't have a scripture for it. You have a lot of scriptures we'll look at about bringing into captivity every thought. Ecclesiastes condemns daydreaming. It says in a multitude of pain, dreams are born. So you start daydreaming when you're lonely. You start daydreaming when you don't have enough money. You start daydreaming when you're sick. You start daydreaming when things are hard. And you'll daydream all sorts of wicked things looking for relief. You'll daydream of a bigger house. You'll daydream of a better spouse. You'll daydream of that dreamy guy. You'll daydream of who knows what, a college career, because maybe if I have two more masters, I'll make more money. You're not permitted to do any of that according to the Scriptures. You're you're committed to bring into captivity every thought and submit to the will of God. That's it. And I like those kind of laws because they're just simple. Cast down every thought, submit to the plan of God. What are you thinking, Chris? Nothing. It gets me in trouble. Pastor Darren still asks me that question every time we see each other which is about two or three times a year, he'll say, what are you thinking, Chris? He always calls me Mr. Chris. What are you thinking, Mr. Chris? Nothing, Pastor. It gets me in trouble. And he always laughs and says, yeah, I teach my church that all the time. That that was your confession. You only daydream because you don't have a walk with God as strong as you should. And so you're looking for peace and fulfillment apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ because when you walk with him, he fills you up. When you walk with Jesus, you're not lonely. When you walk with Jesus, stress hits you and you roll it over on him. And you say, well, Lord, that's a little stressful day. Boss is breathing down my neck. I need the wisdom of the Holy Ghost to figure out how to do that. And he shows you how to do it. And you can't wait to go back to work tomorrow to do it. You, can't, you don't wake up in the morning throwing up because you're so stressed about it. You're stressed about it because you didn't bother to seek God over it. He wants to give you the wisdom for the boss. He wants to give you the wisdom for the problem. He wants to give you the wisdom to troubleshoot this thing. He doesn't want you throwing up because you can't bring into captivity every thought. He wants to give you the wisdom so you can wake up in the morning with confidence going, praise God, I'm going to wait for the wrestling in the mulberry bushes. Then I'm going into my boss's office and we're going to wage war. Yeah, not not with your boss, but whatever the problem is. you know. If you don't get a hold of your mind, you're going to be sunk in these last days. Can you not detect the spirit of agitation and crazy that's in the air? You know how crazy America is? You can't even use the word crazy because it offends people. It's not politically correct. Well, that's crazy. (laughs) And if something's crazy, we're going to call it crazy. And God doesn't want you crazy. He's not giving you that spirit of agitation or the spirit of fear. But of power, love, sound mind means disciplined a disciplined mind. You don't have permission to daydream. Daydreams produce lust. Daydreams produce a false pathway. Daydreams produce, produce a false destiny. Daydreams fabricate things that God never birthed. And then you get so committed to them, that train is halfway down those fabricated tracks before you can turn around. And I've learned pastoring, you go to somebody that's been daydreaming for two, three years, you can't get them off those tracks. They'll say, get thee behind me, Satan. This is the will of God. This is not the will of God. This is the will of a daydream and lonely lust. And If you keep your mind still, when the Holy Ghost does speak, you recognize it because your mind was just still. And all of a sudden, here comes that still, small voice. But when your mind looks like one of those crazy people on public access that gets in that giant air tube with $1 bills, anybody ever seen that? And they put those morons in there. They put glasses on. They're like, yeah, I'm on a chance at $5,000. There's only $5,000 in $1 bills. You got 30 seconds to collect as much as you can. You're coming out with 3 bucks and 52 cents, and there's not even change in that tube. <laughs> That's how dumb that gimmick is. But you know, they turn the fan on, they go in there with air, air uh, glasses and earplugs so they don't have suction in their ears and they turn that fan on, that money starts blowing around and they're just grabbing at money, grabbing at money Some of your minds are like that And what I'm shocked at is how easily the world turns that fan on in your head You were doing so good for 30 minutes And then you check Facebook again that's a dumb human being. <laughs> peace is, like Dr. Barclay said the other night, peace is a valuable friend. Yes, and once you have it, don't give it up. Yeah. It's, nothing's worth giving it up for. Amen. Once you get a hold of a little real estate of peace, you maintain that, you keep that with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if anybody wants to encroach on it, you get that old grandpa shotgun and say, get off my peace. It's my peace. You're trespassing. Amen. Don't you come over here and muck it up. You Once you obtain peace in your household, you fight to keep it. If that means mama can't come over, so be it. If that means your brother-in-law can't come over, so be it. You got peace. Kids grow better in peace. They grow straight, upright. They don't grow twisted, gnarled, or leaning, crooked, weird. Once you got peace, you fight for it with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go to James chapter 1. Look at another verse here. This is our ministry's theme verse, but it'll work here. James 1, 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So here we see our authorization is receive the word because it'll save our soul. So the authorizations receive the word and the dominion is our soul. So we have to receive the word, but notice what the next verse says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. So let me add something to maybe our doctrine and understanding receiving with meekness isn't just hearing receiving with meekness is doing. And so you as a church, you guys are great note takers, but are you note doers? Because if you're not note doers, and I assume you're writing down what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as I'm preaching, because look, I've been preaching at you for 15 years, four services a week. Everybody looks down and writes something different at different points in the sermon. It's like popcorn. It's bump, bum, 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 Throughout the whole service, whether it's a 45 or 50 minute Sunday school or an hour and a half Wednesday night, because the Holy Spirit's ministering to you, all of you differently. This tells me you all hear from God. But it doesn't mean you all obey God. Amen. So you're note takers. Yay. And that's good. But are you note doers? Because if you're not note doers, then you haven't received with meekness. Right, Therefore, your soul will not be saved. That's not salvation. Amen. This is James written to spirit filled believers. They're born again. They're heaven bound. But the soul, the mind, the will and the emotions saved. Sozo. Saved, healed, delivered, made whole. If you don't do the word, which is your authorization, your soul stays the same. So once again, we have an understanding, maybe an explanation for why we have an advance. Why are we still hovering the same mountain? Why are we still afraid of the same cat? Why are we still afraid of the same boss? Why are we still afraid, period? Why are we still insecure? Why are we still battling obesity? Why are we still battling poverty? Why are we still battling crazy? Because you don't do the word. We teach, 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 teach. It goes in your ear, in your ear, in your ear. But if you don't ever do it, all you do is get a puffed up head, which puts pride in your heart. You are authorized to receive. You're authorized to do. And the domain is your soul. I've learned as a pastor, all I can do is pitch straw. I can't make anybody do it. And typically... I met with a couple yesterday and they were apologetic. They said, Pastor, we apologize because you've already taught us to do this. And I said, it's all right. You guys are getting good at it. Usually when I meet with people, it's because they don't do what I've taught. 60 services. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the victory is in the doing. Yes, sir. We love note taking, but the victory is in the doing. Yes, sir. You can have... A whole bunch of notebooks full of notes from all the great ministers and six Bible schools and 14 podcasts that you subscribe to. But there's no victory in those notebooks. There's the how-to, but the victory in life is in the doing of the Word. And if you don't do the Word, I can't help you. If, If you don't do it, all I can do is tell you, do it. And so people come to my office, like all of you have been in there, and you always ask, What do I do? So you actually understand how this works. You want to know what to do. And I might just in my heart say, everything I've been teaching for the last 10 years you've been at my church. But I smile and I say, well, you know, well, let's talk about this. (laughs) All right. So what are you dealing with? Like, I don't know. All right. Have you got your index card with five scriptures on it? Are you praying those every day like you're supposed to be? If you don't do it, we can't get a hold of you. This church, as great as we may be esteemed by some, going on 40 years of existence, we've had people lose their mind and commit suicide in this church. We've had attempted, numerous attempted suicides in this church in almost 40 years. I've known three people I personally served the Lord with. One succeeded at their suicide. Two others attempted and didn't succeed. All in this church taught the word, Pentecost, speaking in tongues, falling out in the spirit, having a Bible study. But if you don't get a hold of it, we can't help you. I can't get in that head. It's not like an engine. I can't pop the hood and fix your alternator for you. It's your domain. I can't violate it. You have to do something. And if you don't, your life will suffer. Then we have to take a step back and go to some kind of secondary solution. Do we need medicine? Do we need deliverance? Do we need to put you on a psychotropic? Do we need to put you on an upper, a downer? What do we need, a chill pill? I don't know. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These are all very well-known scriptures, but our destiny, our success is dependent upon us getting hold of our mind and our emotions. Bosses don't want unstable people. The military doesn't want unstable people. Police don't want unstable people. If you fall apart at an assignment, your boss will give it to somebody else. If you fall apart at what God's given you to do, he'll give it to somebody else. I have a lot of stories of people I've known who freaked out when God gave them an assignment. The stress of it terrified them. And rather than walking through the Bible and finding all those other men before us and women before us who stepped up to the plate and did that which people were afraid of, and God came through, instead of looking at that, they said, Lord, I can't. God will move on to somebody else. So will your boss. So will your professor. So will your sergeant. If you don't have the mental capacity, it will go to somebody else. Except we have a doctrine that says we can bring into captivity every thought. We can cast down every emotion. We can subject our will. So the question is, why don't don't we? Because of lazy. Or maybe we like to manipulate it. Maybe we like to work it. Maybe we just just want to daydream. Maybe we enjoy those tantalizing thoughts of vengeance or pornography or sex or drugs or... What have you? Second Corinthians chapter ten. Verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, which lets you know right there, we're authorized to do something aggressive. Well, I don't want to say violent, I want to say aggressive. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That is, that you can't touch them. They're not tangible, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we see authorization. All right, if I've got a weapon, I've got to be aggressive, and my aggression is going to look like I'm pulling down a stronghold. Now, what's a stronghold? It's a figure of speech in the Greek. It means an argument, a mental argument. When someone has a mental argument, they have fortified that argument, that they have fortified that mindset. This is where debate comes in, and rhetoric, if you understand the rules of uh, rhetoric and debating. This is what politics is all about. This is what social media is all about. It's all about winning somebody's heart to the cause through propaganda, whether it's GIFs, whether it's memes, whether it's TikTok videos. It's all a propaganda war for your mind. And if you don't have a strong foundation and filter based on God's Word around your mind, anybody who wants to can come along and manipulate you. I had the church. I had you guys watch that social media documentary about um, the social dilemma. And they talked about, they went to the psychologists and they socially engineered social media and manipulated society. And they did it on purpose to make billions, of really trillions of dollars. Because they knew how the soul works and Christians don't. bunch of pagans with PhDs and psychotherapy and group dynamics and the Hegelian dialectic paid big bucks to manipulate you and I on social media so that we could be controlled and steered one direction or the other. Because they understand how the soul works and the Christian doesn't. We just want a hug and we want a prayer line. If they could move this nation off of its foundation in 10 years of Facebook, it's going to be very damning on Judgment Day. When God Almighty says, you denied me after five years of social media, your pastor was in your life for 35 years and couldn't get you to do anything. Because it doesn't come back to the notes you write. It comes back to the notes you do. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So let me ask you this. Where do imaginations exist? In your mind, in your heart. Where do thoughts exist? In your mind. So in this verse we have domain, which is our mind. And we have authorization. Cast them down and bring them into captivity. This is a commandment for every New Testament believer. You can cast down fear. You can cast down stress. You can cast down anxiety. The Bible commands us, be not afraid of sudden fear. What is that? That's a panic attack. If you have to, get somebody around you that you trust. If you're given over to panic attacks and say, all right, I feel one coming on when, I, when it hits because it's done it 100 times before and I submit to them, I want you to look at me and slap me and tell me it's going to be okay. Because you got to tell yourself it's going to be okay. Back in the 70s, that was the socially acceptable thing to do. Just smack somebody, knock some sense into them. Now we just want to hug them and say, there, there, have another lithium pill. If it's good enough for your battery and meth heads, it's good enough for your brain. (laughs) I'm not against lithium if you need to be on it. But we still, if we're cognizant, we can get a hold of this. It takes discipline. Discipline. Just like someone with wrath has to work on forgiveness, someone with offense has to work on forgiveness, you're going to have to work on fear and anxiety. And I've taught you for years, whatever you're afraid of, go face it. Yeah. Pastor Vaughn taught us you get to take the test till you pass it. Yeah. It would just stink to be 80 years old still passing that junior level class in Christianity. So figure out where your brain's out of control. Figure out where your emotions are out of control and get ready to face it again. If you don't, you don't go any further in the kingdom or in the natural. When you're in the military, you come in as a recruit, a little private, and they shave your head and they make you all look alike till you learn the basics. And then as you start to show proficiency, you start to excel, and you begin to outrank and out-excel some of your fellow cadets or recruits or whatever you call them. And then they begin to show proficiency. This guy's got leadership potential. You put him on over whatever battalion or a platoon, then a battalion. You work your way up. But if you're still nervous about loading your gun, you're never going to make captain. If you're still figuring out how to tie your boots and you're nervous because the drill instructor's yelling at you to tie your boots and you can't just tune him out and tie your boot, honey, you're going home on the next bus with a bunch of flower kids. Some point we've got to realize life is not going to get any easier. There's, there's no turning this world around. It's going to continue to deteriorate and fall apart and you're going to have to handle it. But you're authorized to bring into captivity every thought. You're authorized to cast down every imagination which means you do it every second of every day. Your mind can be perfectly still. Now the devil knows that if you don't bring into captivity every thought your heart will end up there. And this is why we don't promote daydreams and we don't promote crushes. A crush is nothing but an inordinate affection. It's obsession over someone who may not even reciprocate your affection. So you really don't biblically have permission to daydream about a boy or a girl until you're mature enough to be married and you have get God's God's permission to even look interested. Because the more you daydream about something, the more you're going to want it, the more you're going to want it, the more you... And then when you get a hold of it because it's not God, you're going to hate it. You don't have permission to daydream on any boy, to daydream on any girl. We pray over our kids that they don't chase girls, bud-bud. Well, I pray my boys, I mean my girls don't chase boys. They chase Jesus, and they, we pray this every night. The girls pray over themselves, we marry the right person at the right time. Because they're smart kids, but they don't have the mental faculties to wait on, waste on crushes. Well, how will I ever get married? God? Let God set it up. He doesn't need your help, you know. Amen. Amen. All right. If you don't bring into captivity every thought, if you don't cast down every imagination, nobody can do it for you. Crazy grows when you keep quiet, crazy grows in the void of truth, crazy voids in the darkness of a silenced mouth and you just start eh, and you just kind of start kind of scratching and poking at that worm in your brain and before long you are just nuts paranoid given over to conspiracy theory schizophrenic and I don't knock people fighting that but you're you're supposed to have the mind of Christ but you're washed but you're supposed to be stable but you're supposed to have the peace of Christ dwelling in you we're not to be defined by stress and anxiety and paranoia and schizophrenia we're defined by the mind of Christ which is a mind that doesn't think until it needs to activate the thinker. But again, when your mind is like that little cash thing on the cable access and the littlest thing bumps and turns that fan on, those are the Pentecostals that always hear from God. like, Pastor, I found a $1,000 bill in this tube. There were no $1,000 bills in that tube. I don't know where it came from, but you're crazy. When your mind is still, it's easier to hear from God. And when it's just, uh, the devil just throws stuff in there and you begin to think it's you. And Then you get to reading stuff online. One of the dumbest things you can do is diagnose your life online. If you're that lazy, I'll give you permission to Google Bible verses for my flavor of crazy and at least it'll kick you back the word of God but don't get on 4chan or reddit or facebook or hey y'all what you think anybody got any wisdom out there if they're on facebook no if they're on reddit no if they type things with their thumbs all day long, no. Man. You're not a monkey. We weren't designed to communicate with our thumbs. Yes, sir. Huh. If you don't get a hold of this, no one else can. So I got a new, vert, a new coin, a new phrase I coined this week or last week, because this will help some of us. Christians shouldn't go around looking like they always just receive bad news. And I pastor you. And some of you come to church every service like you just got the worst news ever. And I really like, man, how many grandmas do they have that can die? How many cats do they have that can be run over again? And they got nine lives. I was like, how many children do they have that could be killed in a bus accident? Because some of you, I, 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 don't, I can't tell you're born again by your face. I can't tell you're spirit-filled and have the Holy Ghost by your face coming into the house of God because you look like you just received the worst news ever. But you know why? Because it's a reflection of your soul. Martha, Martha, you are agitated about so many things. That's Jesus saying, chill out, woman. (laughs) Chill out. And you know, People get stressed out. They get angry when you tell them to chill out. You know why? Because they're so tight. They're like, that's it. Come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. I don't want to come out. Chill out. (laughs) Christians shouldn't walk around looking like they just received the worst news ever. People should be drawn to you for your hope. And if you look like that, they're not going to think you have any hope. They ought to say, why are you always so happy? Why are you always smiling? Why do you always have joy? If they don't ask you that, you got a problem. And it comes back to, do you bring into captivity every thought? Do you, does your face advertise the hell the devil's succeeding on you with? Because it shouldn't. No, no, we're, we're supposed to be able to beat this thing. Just the devil, Isaiah says. We're going to look and say, "This is it. This is the guy that weakened the nations," and we look like, I don't. We you look like you just gave up your salvation. You just signed over your bowl of lentils like Esau, huh? Some of you I know you could never do that. <laughs> what do I do when my mind's under attack? First Samuel two. First Samuel two. Let's look at a few scriptures, and we're we'll going to wrap up here. Actually, we probably got another 15 minutes, so just wait with me. You watch Lookers, don't have to look. I just told you, 15 more minutes. Here's how you know when I'm done. I apparently always say, have we learned anything tonight? That's how you know when we're done. Until then, you don't have to look at your watch. I always wrap up about 8.30 or 8.45, depending on questions and answers. And you always know I'm done when I say, have we learned anything tonight? Has this helped you? That's affirmation for me that I didn't preach something dumb. So don't work. look at your watch. You're, you're going to be just fine. You can go when I tell you you can. <laughs> Here's one of my favorite verses. 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is Hannah prophesying after the priest told her she was going to have a baby. Verse 9. God will keep the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. The first thing we do is refuse to be quiet. When your mind is under attack, you can't be quiet. you got to speak to that thing. The Bible tells us how to think. Philippians 4, among many verses, but Philippians 4 builds a, a filter of lovely, just, pure, true of good report. If it doesn't fit with that, you tell this thought to shut up. Layoffs are coming. Shut up. i got the favor of God. I'm the hardest worker on the line. Amen. And I'm a tither. And if I need to, I'll go talk to my boss tomorrow. And, worst case scenario, they fire me. God has another job for me. I'm not going to fret over this. God has this. Amen. And if that doesn't work, you spend some time in prayer, which is something else we'll look at here just briefly. If you're quiet, darkness has you. If you're quiet, darkness has you. Darkness will silence your mouth. And Sometimes we need somebody to get around us to encourage us and to tell us, all right, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You've got to open your mouth. Sometimes we have to be jumpstart. Sometimes our battery's so low, we can't even turn the voltage up. We can't even get it in cranking amps. Some of you, I would like to bring a battery jumper in here sometimes and just click it to your ears and reignite that gray matter in between your head and see, I know there's some life in there. Let's see you smile. Let's see you confess the word. You might go, oh, hallelujah, and you might take off running for once and get some victory about you. But you don't have to do that here. You can do it at home too. Anytime you get some bad news, just go find some place private if you need to and get the victory over it. Don't let it put down roots in your life. You have to understand the day we're entering into is going to be such massive mental battles and warfare. It's winning. We're a third mentally ill in this nation. Dr. Sumrall said in the 80s, the Lord spoke to him and said there would come a day when one-third of America would need deliverance from demon power. That's one in three Americans having demons in their life. I believe we're close to it. And I will tell you, most people I've cast demons out of were Christians. And I would add this, they're the hardest people to cast demons out of. Casting demons out of pagans is the easiest thing in the world. It's a spirit-filled Christian that backslid into porn or drugs or homosexuality or perversion. It's hard to get those demons out. Casting demons out of pagans, man, it's like chewing bubble gum. Just come out, and they come out. It's not hard. If you don't get a hold of your mind, you'll lose it. If you don't get a hold of your stress, it'll kill you. Heart attack, stroke, migraines. People can have migraines so bad they commit suicide. Your job is to get a hold of it. The wicked are silent in darkness. Silence brings darkness, and darkness propagates silence. If you keep speaking the word, you'll keep that mouth going. You'll keep light. Just walk around every day and say, glory to God, I'm thankful, hallelujah. you got to build yourself up. Your mouth is like the old hand-crank generator. Um, Webster, uh, 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 Babajide, do you know Shake Shake? The, the flashlights in Nigeria, Pastor Okwoko called them Shake Shake. They're, 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 they have the, um, uh, you shake them and they charge the battery. And uh, Pastor Okwoko loves Shake Shake. He just called them. We had to learn what Shake Shake was. If your battery started going dim, you just shake that battery or shake that flashlight and it would recharge it and eventually would wear itself down because you'd drain the capacitor that was in there. So then you'd have to shake it, which has a magnet going back and forth through a coil. So you'd recharge the capacitor as an LED flashlight. It's pretty cool. It's 15 years ago. They had not even hand crank, hand shake flashlights. That's your life. You stir yourself up. You shake yourself. That's why the seventies was so good for slapping people. It'd wake you up. Yeah, but you want to complain because there's no light, but you don't want to shake. Here's the secret to prayer lines. We lay hands on you. The power of God jumpstarts you till you scream, and then it's your job to maintain that. That darkness comes off you. The power of God touches you. You can't help but go, whoo, glory, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now do that when you go home. It doesn't have to sound just like that, but if you turn, Jesus! To, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you're so good to me. This is the day you've made. Look at this house I live in. Look at the apartment I live in. Look at the car I get to drive. Look at these two legs. They're not prosthetics. I got nice shoes on. Look at that. I ain't wearing an adult diaper. Praise the Lord. This is a good day. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And the boss says, you're going to get fired. At least I ain't pooping in an adult diaper. I can find another job, but I got bowel control. You can find the positive side of anything if you want to, or you can just milk depression for all sorts of weird hugs from weirdos on Instagram. Oh, what an insult to Jesus that you turn to social media for comfort. Your little thumb reaches out for comfort from your Facebook followers or your TikTokers or hey TikTok gang, I need an encouragement. How are you guys doing out there? you And here's the Holy Ghost going, you know, I was sent for you. You know, Jesus left this planet so I could come help you. So now you're going to turn to a little Chinese app called TikTok, looking for some help, some joy, some hope. I think that's subtle Christ denial, honestly. Just like turning to a bowl of cereal or ice cream is Christ denial when that's your comfort. When you turn to food for comfort, you just tell Jesus, I don't need you. All I need is this big bowl of Lucky Charms and some rocky Road." That's heresy. Yes, we don't see it that way, because half of America's fat. Yes, I'm not picking on you if you're heavy, I'm trying to help you. Skinny people got sins too. First Samuel 30, verse 6, just write it down. What do you do? You encourage yourself in the Lord. Just write it down. You don't have to turn there. I'm not turning there. 1 Samuel 36, David came back from fighting the Amalekites, Ziklag's been torched, all the wife and kids are gone, stolen, and now his mighty men of fearless valley, all six hundred of them want to kill David. David's got no man to stand with him. They want to kill him. They're depressed and sad, and nobody's there to help David. No TikTok, no Instagram, no Snapchat. David has to encourage himself in the Lord. And as soon as he does, clarity comes, and he knows what to do. Oh, duh. Hey, bring me the linen ephod. I'm going to ask God some questions. But he didn't think to do that. Crazy. And I guarantee you, if he'd done like Snapchat with uh, this fellow Israelites, they wouldn't have come up with get the linen ephod and seek God. They'd have given all their wisdom and all their, here's a fun meme. Here's a funny video. Here's a cat chasing a rat. This will cheer you up. Stupid. I'm not against cat videos, but when that's your comfort and your joy, you're a weirdo. Yes, sir. You're crazy and you're a weirdo. So David encouraged himself in the Lord, blows off that fog of depression, suicide, murder. And he's like, oh, get the linen ephod. Well, he's not a priest, but he's asking for it anyway. Only the priest could wear the linen ephod. And he says, Lord, should I pursue? The Lord says, pursue. Shall I overtake? You'll overtake. Shall I recover all? You'll recover all. Boys, get your swords. We're done crying, bunch of sissies. Let's do what we're trained to do. And you know what they did? They recovered all. And then some, because they got all the Amalekite spoils too. Or you can sit there and just be quiet in darkness and nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Hard life. It's been so hard. You just don't understand how oppressed I am. I wish I had some of that privilege. Listen, I'm white. It ain't helping me any. I'm the most hated person. My demographic is the most hated, disrespected person in this nation right now. White, straight. I reject the whole cisgender title. White, straight, Anglo-Saxon preacher. I reject the term Caucasian. It's a racist term anyway. If you'll study the history of the term Caucasian, it's racist. But we don't bother because we weren't trained to be offended at words. White people weren't. We're too busy working. Call me Caucasian, but I'm not from the Caucasus mountain regions of uh, Europe. I'm Scottish with about 150 other things. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Get over it. Ephesians 5, 19. Turn there real quick. Your face shouldn't look like you just got slipped a note that says grandma died again. (laughs) Ephesians 5.19 speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks notice you have to open your mouth giving thanks defeats a lot of stuff if you're fighting any kind of depression any kind of discouragement just stop and make a list of what you're thankful for because even even if everything's burning to the ground, there's something to be thankful for. And we don't give thanks enough. Anytime you start to feel like you don't have enough of this American dream, stop and shut up and be thankful. Thank God for your legs. Thank God for your eyes. Thank God for your teeth. Thank God for your car, your apartment. Thank God you don't live in California or New York City. Thank God you don't live in Ukraine or Russia. Thank God for what you do have. Quit bellyaching about what you don't have. Quit playing the victim. I mean, there's something very corrupt and demonic in our nation when we are magnifying victimhood. You can be a conqueror or you can be a victim, but you can't be both. And I told you I was molested as a teenager by a deacon in our church who my family trusted at the age of 14. And that put anger in me. So in a sense, I I have a victim card somewhere. I should be able to play it. I think it cancels out my white privilege card because I'm a victim now. I'm part of the special class of people. #Hashtag Me Too, you know. Should be. I don't really have a card. I'm making this stuff up. <laughs> but so when you're, you're a teenager and you've been violated by a man, and you can't defend yourself, you daydream about murder. So I did from the time I was about 16 till 18. It's the whole reason I got into jujitsu originally. I really wanted to do aikido because Steven Seagal was big in the day, but my The instructor said, I could teach you that. It'd take you nine years to get good at it. It's useless. I can get you good at six months at judo. I said, sign me up. I want to kill somebody. I didn't tell him that. He'd have helped me, though, I think. He was crazy. (laughs) That was January 1995. And so my daydreams, every move I learned, I visited him in my mind as a victim wanting vengeance. And finally, in February of 1995, I was still backslidden, and I was, I was a carnal college kid, 18, mad at God, mad at church, and uh, full of rage, and l- really excited. I was learning how to break elbows and dislocate shoulders and hips, and I was coming home from the dorms, or coming home to the dorms, February 1995, daydreaming about shoulder dislocations and major hip dislocations. You can make a rag doll out of a man if you want to. And I'm daydreaming about swimming across his lake to his boathouse, dismantling him and leaving him as a carcass, not dead, but just a ragdoll. And as I'm stepping up on the step of Browning Evans dormitory, and I got my judo gi under my arm, it's really cold, I park my uh, 88 Volvo, I hear a voice from heaven, and again I'm backslidden, and I hear a voice from heaven behind me, very, very, very high in the sky, but it arrests me. And it says, if it had not been for the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, you would be a homosexual today. And I instantly knew I got to forgive this guy. I instantly knew I needed to forgive this other guy, this Korean guy I got in a fight with in high school. And then I said, what is the blood of Jesus? Because I don't have any doctrine, didn't know what it was. But you know what? The Lord didn't say, now, now, you're a victim. He told me, he showed me something to give thanks for. And I instantly knew in my heart, I must forgive this man. And from that moment forward, I never would allow, I didn't, nobody taught me this. I didn't go to church for another year. I didn't, I didn't start studying my Bible for another four or five months, but I knew I could not daydream on molestation anymore. I had to cast it down. There's other guy, his name was Jun Kang. He was a Korean guy, a very good martial artist. Anytime I think about him, I'd make a fist, just in anger. And I'd catch myself doing that for the next year. And I'd say, nope, nope. And I would pray for June. He was part of an Asian gang. Out on Seattle, Asian gangs are way more serious than Bloods and Crips. Asian gangs make those guys look like Mama's Pancake House. He was part of an Asian gang. He, his little name was Junebug, but it was spelled J-O-O-N. He was Korean. Um, anytime I think about June, I'd make this fist and I'd catch myself, and I wasn't even taught to do this. I'd say, Father, I pray for June. May he be born again may he be in a church somewhere may he be serving you I had to do that for about a year before I could think about him and not make a fist it takes discipline the thing with the molester was instantly gone never thought about it really again I mean like I didn't have to I I didn't have to have this anger in me I had to stop daydreaming about killing him but I didn't have this anger driving me which is why I ultimately quit judo after six months because I got no reason to take it anymore don't have anybody to kill But if you don't speak to yourselves and give thanks, you're sunk. Giving thanks is so powerful. So it's a pretty awesome thing when the Lord says, you could be a homosexual today. And I said, well, thank the Lord I'm not. That was a horrible experience there in Seattle with that pervert, pedophile, church deacon. But thank God I'm not a homosexual because I got born again at the age of seven and the blood of Jesus covered me. That's how I know it's a spirit. Homosexuality, that is. So you've got to figure out something to be thankful for. Quit stressing out. The fearful have their place in the lake of fire. I don't think you're going to hell because you got stress or anxiety, but it does tell us how God views it. Give thanks, submitting yourselves one to another. This verse tells us that if you'll speak the word, give thanks and submit, you can beat this. But what darkness does is it silences you. Here's the antithesis of this. It silences you. It makes you grumble and causes you to retreat. Darkness will always cause you to retreat from the body of Christ. And last verse, Psalms 42, just write it down. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. When do you praise him? When you least feel like it. Because this is a faith thing. Hoping, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hoping, God. Now, real quick, fun story about that. I've taught it before. In shepherding, sheep grow wool. Did you know that? Of course you did. Sheep can't exist without a shepherd because their wool will kill them. Because wool never stops growing, and when sheep lay down every do every night, like they do to take a nap or go to bed, they pick up detritus or dirt and sticks in their wool. And if a sheep doesn't stay shorn, that wool will get so heavy, he'll go to get up or she'll go to get up one day and she won't. She'll cast. That's called casting. They go to get up and they can't, and they'll try to roll. And because they're off weight, off balance, and they have so much junk that they've picked up in the world, they'll go to get up and they'll roll to their back. And that's a cast sheep. Sheep are ruminating animals. They have two stomachs, just like cows. You chew. You digest, they have cud, they burp that back up. But ruminating animals produce methane gas that has to be released out of their mouth. And when they cast, they cannot release that gas. So they can die in less than 24 hours. So the first thing a shepherd does in the Middle East and other places, I suppose, but not from my research, they look out on the horizon, they look for buzzards in the morning because the buzzards indicate cast sheep. So the shepherd has to run out there and take those sheep and pick them up and if it's ready to shear them, shear them or pull all the rocks and sticks out. So my belief, and I don't know if the King James translators use this on purpose, but I've got to believe David, being a shepherd, said, Why are you cast down on my soul? You've picked up so much junk, picked up so many sticks, so many weights, so many cares, and you can't get up. Why? Hope in God. Shear that junk off. Take you some barber shears and just go all skinhead on it. Just take it down to the quick little pink lamb and be free. Right, Marlon? We get stressed out because we let cares build up. And you don't have to. You just cast them over on the Lord. Casting all your, where? Why? He cares for you. You cast your cares because he cares. We have to practice that. Otherwise, you'll live your whole life stressed. Hasn't he proven himself faithful enough yet? Of course he has. We just have to remind ourselves. So here's the word. Your brain is your domain, and you're authorized to discipline it. If you don't, I can't help you. it gets too bad, we'll have to cast something out of you because you'll invite something in you. And even then, if we don't clean you and fill you up with the word of God, that devil's going to come back with seven buddies. That's the gospel. All right, for you watch checkers. Check your watch. Have you learned anything tonight? Has this helped you? I thought so. Let's pray.